0: The problem we have today, my son-in-law up there, we were discussing it on last night. More and more men are feeling the pressure of the culture, and so they want to respond to the pressure of people in their congregations as to what those people think they should do. And they're not really ministering to God, they're ministering to people. And in the end, they end up compromising themselves.:
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogie, senior pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, a chapter which some have described as the mountain peak of prophecy. In the coming days, we'll look at the 70 weeks of prophecy and its meaning in relation to end time events. But as we open today, we note that prior to understanding prophetic revelation, Daniel went to the Lord in prayer and fasted. Last time, we looked at the time of Daniel's prayer. And today, as Pastor Brogy opens by reading verse two, we look at the text of Daniel's prayer.
0: I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So he has the scrolls. It's on more than one scroll. Jeremiah is a big book and he's reading the prophet Jeremiah. He's having his quiet time there. What is he reading? Well, take your Bible, turn to Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah chapter 25. It's just to the left of Daniel. You'll find it easy, Jeremiah chapter 25. And I want you to notice, um, let me just set the, uh, the ministry of Jeremiah in your mind. If you remember, for the first 120 years, the kingdom of Israel was united under its first three kings, Saul, David, Solomon. They each ruled for 40 years, exactly 40 years, 120 years total. Because of the compromise of Solomon, God said that he was going to tear the kingdom in two, and indeed he did. The 10 northern tribes are known as Israel. Sometimes they're called Ephraim in the Old Testament. After one of the larger tribes, sometimes it's called uh, Israel in Samaria, because the capital became not Jerusalem for these people, but Samaria. And that stuck for a century. So when a woman's from Samaria meets Jesus at a well, which place should we worship? In Jerusalem or in Samaria? And of course, the southern two tribes later on, they are attacked by Babylon. And we study that in the opening chapter of the book of Daniel. And so they're carried away. They're called Judah. So initially, sometimes you read in the Bible, Israel is referring to all 12 tribes. But at a certain time, Israel's referring to just 10 tribes and the two southern tribes after the larger of the two, namely Judah. And so here's a man who ministers to the southern kingdom, to the southern tribes. Look at verse 8 of Jeremiah 25. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, and against its inhabitants, and against all these nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them, and make them a horror hand of hissing, a horror hand of hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, verse 10, I will Take them from the voice of joy and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. That's a sermon itself. And the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. Verse 11, this whole land shall be a desolation and a horror. These nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, just a few pages over. Jeremiah, in this chapter, deals with the false prophets of his day. And they said, it's not going to be 70 years. Just relax. Take a deep breath. We're going to be delivered in a short amount of time. And so Jeremiah tells him, don't listen to these false teachers. Verse 5, he says, build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters, and multiply there, and do not decrease." Then in verse 8, he says, don't listen to these guys, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years, there it is again, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Why 70 years? Why not seven years? Why not 270 years? God has a reason for everything he does. There are no accidents in the Bible. Put out in the margin, next to Jeremiah 29 and 10, this text, Leviticus 25, 3 and 4. Leviticus 25, 3 and 4. As you're writing it, I'll read it. Six years... You shall sow your field. In six years, you shall prune your vineyard and gather its crop. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Also put next to verse 10, 2 Chronicles 36, 20 and 21. 2 Chronicles 36, 20 and 21. Those who have escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon. And they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation it kept until 70 years were complete. Now the principle of crop rotation and giving a piece of property rest actually comes from the Scriptures. And God knew in this fallen world that they needed to work the land six years and let it rest one year. And of course, it was an act of faith in the sixth year to believe God when they weren't growing any crops to provide for their food needs, and he did. The problem was is they became faithless. And so for 490 years... They ignored the clear command of God. God kept telling them by his prophets, don't do this, don't do this. They didn't listen to him. And so God says, okay, you won't give my land rest? Then I'll give it rest. And so the time of this deportation to Babylon is 70 years by a purpose. Now back in Daniel 9, go back to Daniel 9. Remember, uh, the 70 years begins when Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Most of us know them by their pagan names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We should know them by their Jewish names. That's when the deportation begins in 605 B.C. And there are three times they're carried away. That's all by introduction back in the opening sermon to this book. And so that's 605 B.C. This is 538 B.C. This is the first year of Darius' reign. What does that tell you? It tells you that 67 of the 70 years had gone by. And so Daniel recognizes that he is living on the threshold of the fulfillment of a biblical prophecy. I, Daniel, verse 2, observed in the books the number of the years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. By the way, Daniel believed in a literal interpretation of prophecy. Most of our Reformed friends today that use that label, that have stolen a good label, just like our charismatic friends that have stolen a good label. I'm a charismatic in that I believe that God gives spiritual gifts. If you believe in the five solars of the Reformation, then you're Reformed. Nonetheless, people today who call themselves Reformed, when they look at the 70-week prophecy of Daniel... They say the 70th week, and it's going to be divided, that prophecy into three parts has already been fulfilled. What are they doing? They are spiritualizing prophecy. And so Calvin wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible but one, Revelation, because he didn't know what to do with Revelation. He was mixed up on his ecclesiology, and that made him mixed up on his eschatology. And if you spiritualize prophecy, like Augustine and Calvin did, you will come to some very different kinds of conclusions. But modeled within the prophets themselves, modeled within the Lord Jesus' teaching, modeled within the writers of the rest of the New Testament, they always interpreted prophecy with the same method of interpretation for the rest of Scripture, with a literal grammatical historical principle or hermeneutic, all right? So Daniel believes 70 years meant 70 years. That shouldn't shock us. That's the occasion for his prayer. Secondly, you with me? All right, the humility in his prayer. Let's think about the humility in his prayer. You know, when you pray, God's not interested just in the words you use as much as he is with the attitude of your heart. And we learn that this man first prays a very attentive prayer. Verse 3 says, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication. Two words. First, prayer. It's a Hebrew word that means intercession. When you pray for someone else. And then supplications. It's a Hebrew word that means a request for mercy. So here's Daniel. And he said, I gave my attention to the Lord. I like the King James here because it's most literal. It, it just literally interprets the Hebrew. I set my face unto the Lord your God. Have you ever set your face to seek God in prayer? You see, many times we have casual kind of take it or leave it kind of prayer. But Daniel sets his face, he recognizes that God needs his full attention, that God is the most important person in the world. Jesus highlights this principle in Matthew 6.6, 6. but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so while we are to pray without ceasing, while we are to be in a spirit of prayer, there are times when we go into whatever your prayer closet is, your car, I literally have a closet in my home where I hang my clothes. I've got a closet in my office where I shut out the whole world and I seek God's face. It's a form of humility. Daniel said, I set my face to the Lord God. I gave him my full attention. So it's an attentive prayer. Secondly, he prayed a broken prayer. He prayed a broken prayer. Now, when we studied Daniel 6, which is the time frame again which this prophecy takes place, we learned something about the frequency of his prayer. At least three times a day, he shut himself up to pray to God. But here we learn something about the fervency he has in prayer. Look at verse 3. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He uses fasting added to it sackcloth and ashes, which speaks of intensity. Remember, he is in a position of leadership. Someone who works in the White House doesn't go there in their blue jeans. They go there with leadership clothes. He would have done the same in Babylon. He would have been given rich clothes, but he humbles himself. He puts on sackcloth and literal ashes on his face. What is he saying? He's saying, God, I am but dust. I am nothing in your sight I need your help, O God. And so that's how Old Testament saints expressed it. Now, one common trait of his prayer that carries over into the New Covenant is that of fasting. I'm not saying you shouldn't put on sackcloth or ashes, but there are no examples in the New Testament. But certainly today, even in Jewish thinking, and in the average Christian who knows the Word of God, which makes them not an average person because most Christians no longer know their Bibles. They recognize that fasting is a form of humility before God. One of the most commonly asked questions we've had over the years in the Bible line and that people will ask me in the hallways is, should we fast today? So let me speak for just a moment and to put fasting And the context of the day in which we live it first of all fasting is not dieting it's not dieting uh you know as a pastor i get christian or pastoral spam and one that came to my inbox was entitled fastings for blessings let me read a portion of it to you the founder of this ministry said you're about to step into the shower when the mirror catches your eye what do you see Look at your waist, your arms, your hips, that tummy. Does the sight of those bulges and rolls depress you? And when you get on the scale, do you think to yourself, this is awful. I can't go on like this. Something has to be done. If you're in that situation, take heart. You're about to read something that will make your spirit sing with joy and relief. And then he gives a series of testimonies. Here's SP from Oregon. Fasting really works. Thanks to your program, Help the Devil Wants Me Fat, and God's Strength. I was able to finally gain control of my appetite. At first, I couldn't believe it was really working, but as time went on, I realized the program really works. I never dreamed I could lose my cravings for sweets, but I did, praise God. I lost 18 pounds on the 10th day of my fast, and my eating habits have totally changed. I wouldn't have believed it was possible, but it happened to me. Now, I'm not giving any endorsement to this ministry, but let me clearly say fasting is not dieting. It is not done to lose weight. You may lose weight, but it is not done to lose weight. For that matter, neither is it just cutting back on food. Some Christians today speak of a partial fast, and they misinterpret Daniel 1. We covered that in depth. We saw that those men in Daniel 1 refrained from certain food, not as a partial fast, but because of the idolatrous nature of those foods, probably too some would have been considered unclean under the old covenant and therefore forbidden. Some think of fasting as they speak, there's a lot of Christians that talk today about a fruit juice fast. And so for 30 days or 10 days, they, they drink fruit juices. Well, that's not a fast. It might be a sacrifice, but it's not a fast. Um, what is fasting in the Bible? It's either no food, no water, which of course you could only do for a short time, or typically simply no food. Esther 4.6, go assemble all the Jews... We are found in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. Thus, I will go to the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. But most often in Scripture, fasting is simply no food plus water. Luke 4, Matthew 4, the famous fast of our Savior. But let's ask another question. Why are God's people to fast? Well, it's certainly not done to get God's attention or to impress him. Um, We have no righteousness in ourselves; Our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. And that same prophet addressed the people of Israel who are fasting, but out of the wrong spirit. Listen to these words from Isaiah 58. Is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness? undo the bands of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? So they were fasting. They were religiously outside, but on the inside their hearts were just disobeying basic premises of God. Let me give you a definition of fasting. Fasting is simply typically going without food for a specified period of time to seek a spiritual goal, for a spiritual goal. Now, Jesus assumed we would fast. Listen to these words, Matthew 6, 17. But when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, and I'm not talking to people who can't fast, you have got some medical issues, so don't sue me, all right? When you fast, Anoint your head and wash your face. Now, unfortunately, that page seems to be torn out of most Bibles in practice. We talk a lot today in the church about sacrificial prayer and sacrificial giving, but very little about fasting. But as I just noted, a fast is an abstention from food. You had a fast last night. You woke up and you had fast. You didn't eat unless you're chained to the refrigerator and you get up in the middle of the night. You didn't eat during the night. You had a fast of sorts. So what are the reasons to fast? There are many, but let me highlight a few. Number one, to humble yourself before God. To humble yourself before God. In Ezra chapter eight, you see this humility expressed. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for us, our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way, because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and anger against all those who forsake him. He was ashamed to ask the king for help. He had been bragging about how great God is indeed. He made his boast in the Lord. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. God, we need your help for our safety, for our loved ones, and for your own honor and glory. A second reason, to intensify your prayer life, to intensify your prayer life. Paul said this principle in 2 Corinthians 12, which you could certainly apply to fasting. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, it may seem like a paradox, But it is actually in our weakness that we find strength. And fasting has a way of strengthening your prayer life. Practically speaking, you don't have to go to the restaurant or you don't have to prepare the food or clean up after that food. So you have some extra time for prayer. And in addition, every time you hear that hunger pain shouting out, I need to eat it becomes a signal to seek God and to pray. King David in Psalm 35 said, I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. He kept having those hunger pains and it shouted to him, pray. And so fasting allows you to humbly seek God in prayer and to more earnestly seek him in prayer. Fasting has a way of intensifying your prayer life. That's why the Lord Jesus said in reference to the disciples who couldn't cast out a demon, but this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. You are giving your full attention. And so it's in fasting that the spirit of God prompts you how to pray. He often tells you what to pray for, and he often teaches you and shows you things from the scriptures you are studying that he will show you in no other place. Let me give you a third reason. To help discern God's specific will for your life. To help discern God's specific will. Now, there's God's general will. We don't debate about that. But then there's God's specific personalized will as it relates to your life. And so, for instance, in Acts 13, the church in Antioch, we read, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. While they were ministering, the Net Bible says, while they were serving the Lord, the Holy Spirit said to the church there, set apart these two men. They were ministering to the Lord. That's not a synonym for prayer. It goes back to the verb in verse 1. These men who were prophets and teachers, they were ministering to God as prophets and teachers. The problem we have today, my son-in-law up there, we were discussing it on last night. More and more men are feeling the pressure of the culture. And so they want to respond to the pressure of people in their congregations as to what those people think they should do. And they're not really ministering to God, they're ministering to people. And in the end, they end up compromising themselves. Well, these men were ministering to the Lord God as prophets and teachers. And by the way, God doesn't usually speak and work in the hearts of those who just need to be dusted off. No, God works in those who are involved in ministry. Those are engaged in service. And so as they minister to God, as they pray, as they fast, God gives unction. Listen to this verse, Acts 14, 23. When they had appointed elders for them from, in every church, having prayed with fasting. I don't make a major decision as it relates to my life, my family, or this church without prayer and fasting. Now, there's some prayer and fasting that needs to be done corporately, some giving that's done corporately, some prayer that is done corporately. In fact, the three things Jesus says to do in private, not to be seen by men, there are also three equal commands in the Bible to do publicly. When we sought the two elders, one of whom you heard last week, we spent time, I did, and I know most of the el- other elders, did in prayer and fasting over the course of a year because we wanted to know God's will. These men prayed with fasting. Let me give you another reason to fast, to express repentance before God. To express one's repentance in prayer, either as a church, as a nation, as an individual. There are many examples in Scripture. Even unbelievers, Jonah 3, all the Ninevites put on sackcloth and ashes, they fast and they pray, and God relents concerning His judgment. The greatest revival possibly in all the Bible. In Nehemiah, you f- Nehemiah chapter 9, you find God's people fasting with repentance. Listen to these words. Now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dirt upon them. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and in the iniquities of their fathers. A true expression of repentance. And some of us really don't show brokenness of heart, which God does not despise, until we fast and confess over those sins. A fourth reason uh, is to seek God's help for an impossible situation. To seek God's help, next slide, for an impossible situation. Next slide, here we go, come on guys, there we go, all right. To seek God's help for an impossible situation. Queen Esther, I already read that text to you. Go assemble all the Jews found there in Susa. Fast with me. Don't eat and drink. Call out to God because I'm going to do something that could mean my death. Second Samuel 12:22. David sought God fasting and praying. While the child, his little baby, was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. So God answered his prayer. In this case, God said, no, the child's not going to live. But he had an answer from God in response to prayer and fasting. He got help for an impossible situation, and God gave him comfort in it. Even in the brokenness of heart, God gave him assurance that he would see that precious little baby. And God worked in the king's heart when Esther came into her presence. Some of you this morning, you have an impossible situation. You have a a friend, you have a relative, you have a son, a daughter who's hooked on drugs. Some of you have a troubled marriage this morning. Some of you, you have a financial disaster in your home, and you would be wise to seek God in prayer and in fasting and seek God for an impossible situation. And so these are just a few of many reasons we could give for fasting. But listen, if God left us these numerous Old Testament examples, if Jesus said we should pray and fast, if the early church prayed and fast, if Christian leaders throughout the centuries have prayed and fast, then we must be careful not to relegate this to the Old Testament as something that God's people no longer do. And one of the reasons today the church is so weak, so anemic, and so powerless is because God's people do not fast. Now, while we're on the subject, let me give a few caveats. Number one, fasting, when you do it, you are to avoid exhibitionism. Jesus said, and when you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen by fasting by men. Truly, I say they have the reward in full. So they just kind of looked sad, and." didn't wash their face and rub the ashes on them and said, look how spiritual I am, I am fasting. And Jesus, in essence, says, brush your hair, wash your face, do it in private. There are times to pray and fast corporately. And usually once or twice a year, there's some issue I ask the church at large to do that for. But then there are times when no one should know, except possibly your wife, so she doesn't make that meal, not to mention your one. But you are not to do it for the praise of men. Not for exhibitionism, neither for legalism. You don't gain some special status before God. Our acceptance is on the merits of Christ's death, period. And yet the Pharisees did it for legalistic purposes. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. They did every Monday and Thursday. And I give a tithe of all that I get. They did it for all the wrong purposes reasons. That's legalism. Third, avoid asceticism. Avoid asceticism. God doesn't want you to become some religious recluse, some aesthetic. Vance Havner used to always say, there's no holiness in a hole, and indeed he was right. God needs you out in the world so you can function in life. So Jesus said, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your Father who's in heaven will see you and He'll repay you.
1: Fasting is intended to allow us to devote focused attention to what God has to say. It is commanded of believers along with prayer. Tomorrow we'll conclude our look at Daniel's prayer in our study of Daniel chapter 9. To listen again to today's study, The Prayer of Daniel, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program DAN12. That phone number again is 877-787-7478. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy concludes his look at the prayer of Daniel. Join us then as we search the scriptures.